Hi everyone. Welcome to the lost generation outside of the mainstream. My name is William Hooker. I am a musician, poet, and part of this generation of artists. My goal with this podcast, which is being broadcast on its own YouTube channel and my website, williamhooker.com, is to introduce you to many of the musical artists that are outside of the mainstream and have made important artistic contributions to our culture. I have also interviewed producers of the music and many fans and supporters of this work. My guests are sharing what makes this art form unique and significant. I hope these conversations will inspire you to listen to the music, which may change you in the way you view music, which again is outside of the mainstream. Today, we present part two of my interview with drummer, band leader, Newman Taylor Baker. This is the lost generation outside of the mainstream. This is a story that needs to be told. Okay, let's jump up to 20 years. Where are you now in 20 years? 20 years ago, I'm here in New York. You're here in New York. Yeah. Okay, you've made a decision. Why are you coming to New York? Well, I decided um, in 1968 okay. that I was going to come some point in my life I was going to try to, I was going to come to New York and see if I could do this <laughs> I got you I got you and that decision was made while I was living in Richmond I was playing in this band uh, a trumpet player named John Baker from the Queens out in Jamaica New York but he was living in Richmond and he had this band that played three nights a week in Richmond at this club Shea Indigo and guy Zeke Allison was the owner. Okay. And we played for... I, I moved back to Richmond from Maryland. Yes. And I learned that they had this club, so I went in and sat in one night. In Brooklyn? No, in... No, I'm, this is before Brooklyn. Oh, okay. okay. This is before I got up north. All right. Well, bring it up to bring it up to up north. This is how I got up to north. Oh, okay. I got this you. is how I got up to north. That band we played the Newport Jazz Festival in Hampton in 1968. John, the leader, uh, he was from New York and knew, knew new cats, and he was a salesman for the African American papers in Richmond. Okay. And ad sales and that. So he knew how to talk to people and he got <laughs> he got us on this on the festival wow. on a Saturday afternoon. Um and they had a jam session. But this is the first time I got to be backstage. Yes. With with musicians and backstage and do that. Right, right. And being back there it's the first time in my life that I said felt ah oh, this is where I belong. Were you playing straight ahead music? Uh, well, we were playing. Uh, the piano player was named Joe Bonner, who was here. Of course, here. Joe Bonner, the yeah. great Joe Bonner. Yeah, well, he was great when he was 18. The great Joe Bonner, of course. Yeah, he went to Virginia State. And yeah. I, met him, I met him 
the summer before he entered Virginia State. And wow. We played together. We used to, I used to, after I graduated, um, when I, I, when I was in Richmond, yeah. I'd come back to the campus and join I would set up and play in the, in this. I haven't heard that from. name in so long. I haven't yeah, heard yeah, that name in so long. So we played some instruments, but he would come to New York. This of course. Was, and he'd come back. I was playing Maiden Voyage, uh, Dolphin Dance, tunes from that album yeah. before I even knew the album. Because Joe had knew him, he had learned them. Okay. He came back and we played them. Uh, we were playing uh, stuff from Love Supreme and that. Right. Before, and I hadn't heard the album, but I knew that we played, I knew the tunes from that. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah, I mean, That's uh, great. Plus, he was with like Pharrell Sanders. And yeah, people. this is before he grew, He would come up and hang. Okay. You know, and hang it, because Hal Vick was from his hometown. Oh, so wow. So he'd come and hang with Hal Vick, and he'd come back and bring all these tunes. Hal Vick is from Joe Bonner's hometown. hometown. Rocky Mountain. Now, now Hal Vick is my neighbor. Huh. I live on 52nd Street. Harold Vick lived on 51st Street, and and we have a backyard, and we can look right to the backyard, and Harold Vick's apartment would be right in the back of our apartment. And I only knew of him because of his relationship with the organ group. <laughs> That's how I knew of him, right? Right. Yeah. You don't talk about it. Go. But go. You mentioned a couple of things, but I'm going to interject something that I saw about you that I thought was very important. Very astonishing for me. Okay. The first time we met was in an APAP conference. Uh-huh. Remember? Yeah. I don't remember the exact moment because I know. Because you were playing at a spotlight, and I said, oh, since you and I are probably the two only black people in the place, I said to you, what are you doing here? And you said, I'm getting ready to play. And I said, yeah, that's great, but all you got is like that washboard. How you doing? What are you doing? Then you said, I'm doing a spotlight tonight, and and that was the first time I ever knew that you did something completely different than playing drums. Uh, now, briefly, uh-huh. tell me your outlook as far as the washboard itself and what it means to your own aesthetic. Okay. Well, me and the washboard. Yes. I actually have Briefly. Because I've gotten a lot of questions. Listen, okay. It, it was an accident. It was an accident that ended up changing my life. Okay. I was last minute sub with the Ebony Hill Boys, Black String Band. They were playing in the subway as part of Music Underground. The yes. Uh-huh. And um, I was subbing for Dave Gibson a drummer from Philly. Yeah. He had been playing it. He had his shit up, set up on a stand, cymbal stand. So he sat down and rubbed in the more traditional sound of the washboard net. Okay. And he's the one that told me about shotgun shells. But thank you very much. <laughs> shotgun shells, um, after, you know, he gave them to me and I, he had gotten them from Carolina Slim, who was originally from North Carolina but lived out in Queens and he's passed some years ago now. Uh-huh. But, he told me he was a band leader. He played guitar, um, washboard, all kinds of stuff. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, but I went to meet him because Dave had said he had gotten his shells from him. So I went out there to see him. And, uh, and we sat and played a little bit of drums and washboard. And, uh, and he was told me about the shells and that it's a tradition in the southeast part of the United States. Virginia, Carolinas, Georgia, 
Tennessee. And yeah, and that part, which I knew nothing about until Dave Gibson gave me these shells and he gave me two on each hand. And so he played like that. I then got to the gig, we were playing in Times Square, across from the shuttle with the and I didn't have the right clamp to put the put the board on, so okay. all right, man, we got to play. So I threw it in my lap, yeah, and just started playing and did it that way, and doing it in my lap, yeah. And it was more, it was more like a drum because I didn't, I honestly, I didn't really like the rubbing sound of the washboard. Okay, okay, it, it was too. Anyway, I didn't like that sound that much, but. Put it in my lap, yeah, because I had to, not because I chose to. Oh, right. <laughs> but I did, and I started playing and doing my hand, and shit, man, the music was cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I could right. see the effects on the band, but also on the people. I was thinking about tap dancing. Well, I wasn't thinking about tap dancing. I was just trying to make the gig. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> about the sound, but the, the sound, yeah. yeah. To me, I don't hear it as tap dancing. Okay, I hear it as a drum. And uh, as I, after the first time of doing it, I, I, I got it came to me, man. Put shells on all four fingers. Why? Why? Yeah. Because playing it because it, then it was more like a hand drum or like a conga or yeah, a or, yeah, yeah, I was. It just made sense to me because okay. just trying to play with two or holding these out the way. That, that yeah, it didn't work for me, so okay. I started doing that. And I was the first time playing, I was even just the two fingers. We were going, and the stuff was happening. Then all of a sudden, my hand started doing stuff, and I don't know how they knew to do it at the time, but it was with the music, man. And I, I really came to, it was coming through me. It wasn't me. It was working. Yeah, it was working, but it wasn't me, because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. My hand, and, it really felt that my ancestors were showing me how to play. And um, that was really a life-changing experience. Now, part of the juju of that happening was the washboard I was playing. Very, very well, you know something, you just used the word, it was very, very deep in, in your understanding of this music, the juju. Yeah, well, this washboard that I had was an old washboard. Yeah. And I got it when I was helping clean up Evelyn Blakey's apartment after she passed in 2007. Right. And I saw this washboard and I said, man, I know she watched some of her, a boo has Art Blakey's clothes. Right. You know, um, she was Art's oldest daughter. I know, I know. Yeah, I was playing for Peter's the, church. For the, account, for the calendar. Art Blakey and Jazz messages. Evelyn Blakey was Art's oldest child, and right. she was a great singer, blues and jazz That's singer. That's right. And I helped clean up her apartment, and I saw this washboard, and I said, man, I'm taking this home. <laughs> and I took it home, not because I was going to play it, but because it was Evelyn's and Art's. Absolutely, and that, absolutely. Just, just I loved that her. Energy that energy. I loved her. I loved her that, as a person. So that's why I had it. John Genzel introduced me to her. Uh, and brought me into her aura, and we, we spent many days together. Yeah. We spent many days together. She was a really good person. That's right, man. Really, really yeah, you're touching. Let, let me ask you, um, do you have any recordings out on your own name? I only have one. What's the name of it? Uh, Drum Sweet Life. 
Drum Sweet Life, S-W-E-E? No, S-U-I-T-E, but it's a play on sweet either way. Okay, when, when did it come out? Oh, it got published somewhere around 2001 or two. Who's on it? Or maybe later. Who's on it? It's just a solo drum set. A solo drum set? Yes. Why did you choose to do that? Uh, well, because that was the only thing that I felt connected to as a project of my own. Yeah. Um, and I've always, I've had this combination of, of sound of the drums for me. Was I, in college, in school, timpani. I loved playing timpani. Oh, okay. And timpani was melodic. Yeah. It had pitches as well as implying harmonic. And so I, 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 I really loved it. So then, so I took the idea of pitches and put it on the drum set. So singing drums, I had six toms, and I had a uh, G, A, B flat, C, D. And the snare drum ended up being F without the snare. Okay, okay. Oh, actually, well, no, but sometimes it'd be F. F. And then, um, but I took it up to G. I ended up making it G. Okay. So um, I had the octave, mm-hmm. and I've... I found that there were some spirituals that I could play, play and fly the melody, in the in the right. on using the drums. So right. I started doing that, and I was doing that in solo things. And then I got a NIFA grant, New York Foundation for the Arts grant in 2000, yes. the music fellowship thing. Uh-huh. So I used that money to record. And okay, all right. That's how I got the music recorded. All but I had started doing that back in 95, doing the singing drums thing. How do you feel that people feel about drummers doing their own thing as opposed to uh, people who need to do horns or, you know, that kind of thing in terms of our music? How do you feel that that's, that's, um, I just want your take on yeah, like, what well, you see. Oh, yeah, there's two parts of it. Okay. As a kid, I always felt like the drummer should be had the, the same knowledge as the horn player. <laughs> and I always felt that the drummer could play the tune just like anybody else. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I always believed that. And then I heard Max Roach and his solos, and you could hear he was playing the tune. I mean, it, it wasn't literally A, B, C, or B flat something that bad. <laughs> yeah. But it was double, 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 and that. Yeah. So yeah. I grew up with hearing drums playing more linear, like a tenor player, okay. that, rather than just rhythmically. Yes, yes, yes. And so, and so with the solo drum set thing, that's what it was for me, is the playing tunes and playing music. Right. Playing musically. Right. And not just rhythmically. Yes. Uh, rhythmic is part of it because you hear, for me, I hear a tune or a change of chord and I hear a rhythmic response to it. All right, the good. Yeah, both. You know, yeah. Yeah, you know I, it's, the chord makes me play something. You know? And uh, so I just believe that the drums could do that, could play solo just I'm like anybody you, I'm else. Glad you said that. Just like the piano, anybody else. I'm glad you said that. And I discovered that as I did it and started 
doing that, that somehow what I had in here uh -huh. came out through my hands. Okay. So that if I was saying, duh, 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 I could go, duh, 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 duh. and somehow, it, even though it wasn't exact pictures, yeah. that, that idea came through to the audience and people could hear it. So I could play a tune and people know what the tune was. That's a lot of confidence in the audience, but I'm good with it. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, that, my brother, he said that after one, we say, when he first heard my solo thing, yeah. he says, you really do challenge the audience. And that's, that's yeah. our job. But they, that's what I believe, too. <laughs> I, I, that, that, I believe that's too. I believe that, too. And that by giving them the experience, they can grow and they'll get to do it. But our job as artists is to try to increase or expand of the feel. Right. And not just repeat. Now, let me ask you a couple of things about a couple of people. I know I mentioned to you Bobby Zanko. Mm -hmm. You have played with him. Yes. Tell me something about his music. Oh, his music is... Uh, I, I like challenging music. So well, he plays, he plays alto? He plays alto. He also plays clarinet. Okay. All right. Cool. He plays clarinet. Okay. And that. Um, I did an album with him. We first started playing together in, in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, and Philadelphia was a great city for me. Really great music. During what years? I was from, I was from Delaware. When I was living in Wilmington in 73, Yes. I was two years there, and in 75, we moved to Philly, and I lived in Philly from 75 to 80. But I was in playing in Philly from 73 to 80. Okay, okay. All right. Um, Zanko was one of the people that I played with. And I just played Zanko's music. Okay. My whole approach has been, has been I was playing a certain person's music. I, it wasn't what kind of music it was or anything. I was just playing that person's music. So I was playing Bobby Zanko music. Um, it was challenging, but I really liked it. Why was it challenging? Well, because it was different. It wasn't I was the two five one one two or two six right. five four. All right, All right go. You know, it wasn't that. It was different. All right. It had his vision, and that's something I grew up drawn to. Original composition. Yes. I like playing, recreating of you know Beethoven, Bach, and all that. But to me, the art was the new music. Okay. And that was whatever style of, of music, classical or that one. Yes, yes. You know, but uh, it was the R&B guys that brought something new to it. Okay. You know, I, we I, could. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's, that was my taking from, I, I, I don't know when that started, but I was. All right, was, I have another person, yeah. obviously, probably the same Philadelphia situation, Monette Sudler. Yeah, now Monette, I met there, and we just, I, I don't even remember the moment we met and how that happened. Yeah. But we got together, and what I loved about it was she was writing her own music. Very well said. It was, it was, she was her own music. Very well and said. Me, and Go. I really enjoyed playing new music. I mean, I was working with um, 
uh, Harold Vick and Shirley Scott and other bands playing. Yeah, I played with a trumpet player named Johnny Lynch, who played in Dizzy's band way back in the 40s. Okay. Um, and that. And I learned that he was one of the first people I met, and I played with him in his bands, and we do cabarets and that. Okay. Um, but back to Monette. And so that was that. That's okay. what I like about Philly. But she's Monette, Philadelphia. Yeah, she's Philadelphia. We, I like playing her music. Why does she play guitar? How does she? What was the difference between her playing guitar, say, and a Sonny Chirac playing guitar? You can't hear the difference. <laughs> uh, no, she. <laughs> no, I want to know your. I, I want to know your. I see. I, I, I want to know your take on it. I know what I think because I'm yeah. asking you. You know, because she coming from like another. She comes from, from another her own space. place. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Um, I knew her before I knew Sonny Chirac's music. I got it. And I had been playing her music, so. Um, her music was her, you know, it was her and her music. It was one of the things that I enjoyed about being a sideman is that as I played in different bands, I got to see music through different people's eyes. Did so, she use feedback a lot? No, she played straight, no, she didn't yeah. use a lot of effects. Okay. Good. At that time, we were effects were coming in to play. Okay. 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 They were just come, they were coming in. Just, uh, I I guess I started playing with it in '73, sometime now, uh -huh. and we just played in Philadelphia, mainly in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, but we were popular in Philadelphia. Popular. Popular. Oh, I think because you popping. Well, we were popping too. <laughs> I mean, the music was hitting. It was, yeah. it was unique, but we really hit. It was very serious. Yes, right. Very serious music. Um, serious in that we were serious about it. That's why you had to the about best her. Of and she wrote really great music. It's different. Um, I enjoyed the challenge of it and creating, you know, t to take something and try to make it music. That's right. Is to me the highest of being an artist. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. But basically, I'm mad for No, no, no. I'm listening. I'm listening. I love it. Uh-huh. It's creating. Yeah. Rather than recreating. Exactly. Exactly. And I've been, I just, I was drawn to creating from, I don't know how. I got more. I got more for you. All right. Okay. Now. Deidre Murray. Ah. Uh, Deidre Murray. Why did I say that? Well, we were talking about cello. cello. We were talking about cello before. She Can you tell great. me something about her music? Oh. She, she writes really beautiful music. Soulful, feeling music. Um, with, with paints or colors that are unique. Um, I played, a, she, I met her with Henry Fairgill Sextet, and she and Fred Hopkins were the rhythm section. Um, when I joined the band, it was late 87, uh, Hen, I was, it was Henry, uh, Rasul Sadiq, Frank Lacey. Oh, wait a minute. Say that name again. Rasul Sadiq. What did he play? Trumpet. All right, we're going to come back to him. Okay, we're yeah, come right. back to him. Yeah. All right? Uh -huh. um, yes. 
Frank Lacey, yeah. Peter Fred, Yoran Israel, and it was like one, his first or second gig since he moved to New York from that. He had just moved from Chicago and myself. Yes. And um, how did you find her sound in, and um, did you any play, did you play any of her original music? Oh yes, I played. Okay. One, two, three, four, or five of her music theater pieces. Music theater pieces? Yes. Okay. And, um, and this, I don't know, when the 90s, I guess it was after 89 sometime when it started doing, because I also played in the quartet that she and Fred Hopkins co led. And with Brandon Ross, myself, Fred, and Deidre. So she's ahead of her time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I like people that are <laughs> on the edge, as I call it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. yeah. No, but, and her sound and it was ahead of her time. I mean, um, the sound, her sound, her harmonic thing was ahead of her time, and she could use a dissonant harmony and have it sound beautiful. Um, she wrote lines and that, um, I did all these, but the, the most uh, successful commercially was called Running Man. It was a piece that she wrote about her brother. And it had singers, it had a, um, viola, Jim Nolet playing violin or v and viola. Ooh. Jim Nolet. Oh yes, that's right. Jim Nolet. That's right. That's right. Wow. Uh, I'm really surprised you and I. Yeah, because that's that's the whole kitchen situation. Yeah. Well, yeah, I right. didn't really get in the kitchen over well, there. Well, he was but, over there a lot. Yeah, I know. He was yeah. right. I remember it. But now. I met him through Fred. And Deidre. Now he played violin. Violin and also viola. Uh, and viola as yeah. well. Now, can you tell me anything about him? Since he's one of the people that um, I don't know where he is now, but I, I thoroughly, well, totally remember him. Well, I heard he's back here and up in upstate in Woodstock now, but I haven't seen him. Okay. He went out to Seattle a bunch of years ago. All right. Um, and I haven't seen him, but I heard he was in Seattle and then. In the last year or two, I heard he was back upstate. Oops, okay. And I've seen his name, so. Wow, that's but, very interesting. What about Carlton Holmes, my friend? Um, well, Carlton, I know through the Williamsburg Music Center in Brooklyn. My great friend, Jerry Eastman, guitarist and bass. He's, uh, he's the creator of the Williamsburg Music Center. So can you tell me something about Carlton and Carlton's uh, approach? to music because I met him through Manor House. Oh, yeah. And um, Carlton was like a resident uh, teacher and educator oh, there I, as well as... That's something I didn't know. <laughs> Though I know Manor House, but I didn't know that Carlton was so involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but can you tell me something, something oh, about well, this? I've had limited time. Play. I played with him over there with Jerry. Oh, okay, okay. That's, uh -huh. that's the... And I played with him uh, on a concert that at the church that Craig Harris has. Calvary. 
Uh, yeah, the one yeah behind, right next to the Harlem Hospital. Okay, uh, yeah, okay. I'm right. Yeah, I, I played with Carlton there, and um, I really I enjoy his playing from the beginning, from first time with a um, at, at the music center with Jerry. Um, but the at that on that gig, and I can try to remember who. Mm-hmm. That was. Mm-hmm. Um, could have been Howard Johnson, but I'm not sure. But he played. There's a tune of his that's in my book. Okay. That is. I I like his harmonic flow. I was gonna say that too. You know, he has a really oh. nice harmonic sense and movement. He's a sensitive sense. player. Yeah, sensitive and not, but not um, recreating and not doing what he heard. It's something he hears. Yeah. yeah. And it really works. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I really like playing with him. Did one other gig with him. Go, go. With uh, Bob Stewart. The tuba player. Yeah. Yes, yes, right. That was another real hit in there. Now, his, is, is Bob Stewart's son a violinist? He Curtis. Play. He's a bad man. All right, no, 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 I know the generation. I know that See, remember mine. Now, now, I'm glad that you said this because um, I'm really glad you said this. Uh, would you elaborate on Curtis? I, you know, what I know Curtis is from a baby and growing up. Go on. Um, and watching him go, you know, seeing a little kid running around and going up, going, getting through a school of the arts and that, and going to Eastman. Yeah. And when he came out, man, I heard him playing, and he has not only facility on the instrument, yeah, but his constant musical ideas are really, they, they're a new perspective, at least from my my experience. And it seems to be his perspective, but he's found the way to express his expressive, his, his musical expression is, is unique to him. He has his own voice, as we yeah. say in a long time. And absolutely. My, I'm an old school in that way, and that to me, one of the, the, the things that we need that one of the goals as a musician in playing the music was to have your own voice right and I, I can just remember going I could go and hear Wayne Shorter Joe Henderson uh, oh shit play with Dizzy Tenor player to play with Dizzy. Uh, um, all these different, right. this, huh? Right. Uh, all these different, know. same instrument, but different people. Like, think of trumpet. Yeah, Freddie Hubbard, Woody Shaw, but they're different. Joe Have you heard Curtis's group? His court. No, I haven't. I haven't, and I've, it's been you it's on my list. Hear this group. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. You I, must hear I this group. I'm not surprised. See, this is you. where I'm. This is where mm-hmm. I am. I am. Uh, I am totally on board. Mm-hmm. This dude could play. Yeah. 
this dude is serious business. We played, I played in his mother's band, Electric, Electra, and he, he, while he was in school, he came and played, said, and played a couple of concerts, and that's when I knew, that's how I Well, I just wanted to throw that out, so yeah. Now, uh, I think, I think that basically, we could go on, we could discuss, we could discuss a lot of things. But uh, Newman, today has been an honor for me. Oh. It was it really has, man. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking for the, to you. For the very first time. <laughs> yes. No, really, yeah. really. That, yeah, you know, uh, it, it really is an honor for me to talk to you, man. And, and, and uh, hopefully, like as we do our 2020 things, maybe we'll have a, a round table or something and you'll be included and I hope you'll be around okay. and yeah. be available too. at the time. <laughs> and and, uh, and um, we can elaborate more. But um, I hope that this will, uh, I hope our listeners will, will pay attention to some of the people we spoke about and some of the experiences you've had in your life. Because I don't think that they I don't think that they understand the complete breadth of what you bring to this music, and I see it, and I really like it. Thank you for tuning in. In months ahead, you will have the opportunity to hear from many more Lost Generation artists and supporters. The audio-only version is available wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to hear upcoming episodes.